Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Everybody, how is everyone? All right, great stuff. Okay, well, we said we'd be uh, on time and start, so thank you for arriving. It's lovely. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start, in all honesty. I have found that the preparation for this tonight just utterly um overwhelming and i'm just being honest about it i'm not wanting anybody to go oh bless you or anything like that it's just that i need to say up front it's a massive subject and uh, there's just no way that you can do it justice in the time we've got available tonight but we're gonna have a bit of a chip away at it um i don't know how much um you've got from the last few sessions i hope that it's beginning to sort of gel together how Maybe we've been served up something that wasn't what we thought it was, because that was the point, wasn't it, of doing this? Um, and, you know, we're leaving that up, um, you know, so you can sort of have a look at it and maybe revisit it a few times. Um, I spoke, not last Wednesday, I thought Anth was brilliant last week when he was talking about, you know, where Jesus fit in it all. I thought that was amazing. Um, but the week before that, for those who weren't here, we were talking about um, the Elois source and how they were referring back to a prior um, time where it was very different. And uh, we, I, don't, I can't go through all of that. You're going to have to listen to um, the, the tape for it. And sorry, I am very, very thirsty. But basically, it was a reference to the fact that, that the patriarchs of the Bible had a different view of God. And in fact, it seemed as though they called God something different. And we talked about how there was this um, uh, assembly of gods. I like the fact that it's the assembly of gods seen as we came out of it. Isn't that hilarious? I, I actually, at the time, I thought to myself, well, I wonder if that's where they got the name from, the assembly of gods, because it actually is in the Bible, that phrase, assembly of gods, not God, but assembly of gods. And um, uh, I was never brought up with that piece of information. I don't know about you guys, that there were this pantheon of gods up in the heavens where there was this supreme God and there was lesser gods, etc., etc. I was never told that, don't know about you, but I can actually find you scriptures to support it that makes it very clear that according to the writers, that's how they saw it back then. Now, I'm not saying it's right, but that's how they saw it back then. And um, what we also talked about is the fact that El, who was this supreme uh, God of the Canaanite pantheon, he very much resembled everything that Yahweh came later to represent. It was as though they merged into this one. 
as Israel became much more of a nation and much more of a, a, a power to be reckoned with. And um, they then adopted Yahweh as their supreme God. And uh, El sort of just disappeared off the horizon. Now, it's interesting, all of that. But this is where we have to go tonight, to this. The Yahweh, because as the name suggests, these are the people who were very much um, Yahweh followers. And they wrote up their uh, portions of uh, the Bible um, very much with the view that Yahweh was the supreme God. And uh, we'll talk a, a little bit more about that, that as we go along. Um, the most difficult part of this tonight is to come to the understanding that Yahweh and how he's written up in the Old Testament is very much the one on, on who or whom, whichever the correct English is, that Western Christianity is based on. And that's why this gets all a little bit weird. And uh, I'm aware that I'm quite nervous about talking to you about this because, um, there, you know, the, there is just so much that can challenge, your, you know, your understanding. And I want to be very sensitive to that because I don't want to be, you know, chopping away at things that you hold very precious, but I also want to give you the opportunity uh, with information to think, okay, let, let me think about this. So basically, uh, Anth was talking last week about where really there's been a, a, a problem caused is that what Christianity is, uh, is labeled or it tends to be called is Judeo-Christianity, because basically it stems from Judaism You've got Jesus then who was born a Jew. He then becomes the, the Messiah or, or the saviour of the world, which then became Christianity. And I put that very, very simply, but that's sort of the, the basic idea. Um, but what you get is this, like we talked about many years ago when we talked about um, the new covenant, that if you're not careful, all that Jesus becomes is uh, something added on to something that's old rather than when he talks in Jeremiah about a new covenant I will make you with you and it will not be like what you had before. It's very new. What you get in, in what you call now Judeo-Christianity is Yahwehism with Jesus added on. And what's really sad about that is that you look at the mainstream church and people don't like it when Anthony and I mention mainstream church because they think that we've been very derogatory towards the mainstream church but we're actually not all we're trying to do is differentiate that's all I'm trying to do the mainstream church seems to hold the old testament and especially the Yahwehist source of what things were like back then and they're quite happy with that and then they add Jesus on and then you've got Jesus, who is the saviour, but you've still got to make sure you're living within this old covenant, uh, which is very Yahwistic. Now, I know it's very obvious, but Yahwehism comes from the Yahwist point of view. Just make sure you understand that. Um, so, um, 
Have you noticed as well that in the Old Testament, how many times do you actually, well, I don't know, you see people don't read anymore, do they? But if you read your Bible, you'll find, out, find that you won't see the word Yahweh written very often. Because again, translations have changed the names. So we've got an, another problem in that when we're reading the Bible, you can read the word Lord and you might say to yourself, why is that written capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? It's all in capitals. That's because that in English is the translation of Yahweh. Now you might want to just write that down. So where it says I'm the Lord in capitals, that means Yahweh. Now if you've got Lord in smaller letters, it might just mean a master or it could be the, oh, this is where it gets really complicated, the angel of the Lord. Don't make me go there tonight because I am not kidding you. We're going to get into deep trouble there, I think. But anyway, the angel of the Lord, he only has a big L, but a little O and a little R and a little D. But the point is, um, by the time you get to the times when this was written, Yahweh was a word that was not spoken by the Jewish people because it was too holy. So it had to be um, uh, tra translated into a different word. And so they trans translated it into Lord or the word Adonai. So, I mean, I've been just this week as I've been doing this, I've been singing El Shaddai, El Shaddai. That's a song from the past, isn't it? And then uh, another one with Adonai in it. All these songs kept coming back to me. And I'm thinking, I know why we used to sing those songs now. I didn't at the time. Did any of us? But anyway, we did it, didn't we? We did it. So anyway, where had I got to? Um, right, so the name of Jesus, uh, the name of Yahweh was just too incredibly sacred and incredible powerful that it wasn't spoken so you don't find in the old testament and Yahweh said and Yahweh this and Yahweh that you've got to go back into the Hebrew to find out what are the words that have been and you can imagine what a oh dearie me it is absolutely unbelievable um but then again some of you might not even know this so I'm just trying to help you the word Jehovah do you understand what that is? Because there's all these names going on. And you might think, ah, what's going on here? Jehovah is just the Latinized version of Yahweh. So I'm giving you some stuff, right? I'm going, thank you. Oh, that's the Latinized version. Yeah, you might think, well, why don't they make it simple? I'll tell you what, when I'm said many years ago about there being a mischief, oh, there's a mischief. There really is a mischief. It's almost as though... There's a desperate attempt that you might not really know what's going on. And that's what we're doing in, in the lab. We're trying to figure it out. Now, let me please say humbly that what I bring to you doesn't mean I'm right. I'm doing my best. I've done a lot of research. I do a lot of comparisons. And I mean, there's probably oh, four days worth of solid uh, looking at this and I've done my best but that doesn't mean I'm right but I'm throwing it into the pot is is that okay so um the thing that we've got to make very clear is that as far as the Yahweh's concerned is that there was never any other god but Yahweh he was always the supreme 
God. Um, and as far as they're concerned, they wrote him, even though they didn't use his, word, uh, his name, they wrote him into the whole thing right from the beginning. Whereas the Elohists maintain that Yahweh only ever came on, on the scene later on in the time of Moses. And we're going to have a look at that because I found when I started looking at this story, um, I was <laughs> thinking, well, this story in itself, we could take six weeks on just looking at the story. Um, just at this point, though, I just want to uh, bring, bring in a... Um, next week, we're going to be looking at the questions you've asked. So don't be thinking, heck, I put in a question and nobody's answered them yet. We're going to do that next week. Um, and one of the questions that uh, came up, which... We will talk more of next week, but I'll just touch on it a little bit tonight, is that, you know, if we're saying that some of the stories of the Bible are agendas and emphases and, you know, trying to make a point and may, may not actually be the, the truth in the sense of factual, but they contain within them a truth which is helpful for us all, how do you then know what is true? And it really is tough, isn't it? That, that's a very good question. And I was brought up very much with a sentence that now I think about it nearly drives me nuts. But my mum used to say to me, if one part of the Bible is proved to be untrue, then all of it is not true. And you're thinking, you know, and you just, you know, you know this uh, statement, put that in your pipe and smoke it, have you? And that was very much my, my mum's attitude. So it was like, don't touch any of it, because if you touch that, then something else over here, you're going to have to question, which means don't question any of it. Now, what I want to just say at this point, that is why there has been so much trouble in the world, because people have held up the Bible, which, would you believe, I don't even have one here. We talked about the Bible. It's on here somewhere, but you know what I mean. I mean, I've got one here. And they, they use the Bible to support things that they wanted to do in the name of God. And people still do it. And that's why I talked a little while ago about the, um, the mainstream church still very much Yahwistic in its approach. Because whether we like it or not, the Bible has been used to support slavery, to support the annihilation of tribes, to take away land, to do the most horrific thing and oh, sub, uh, put subjugation, I, I'm trying to think of the word, of women, uh, lots of things, uh, hatred at such horrible levels. It's all been done from the Bible. Now, what occurred to me as I was thinking on this question that was asked was when slavery was abolished, did any of us stand up and say, the Bible says we can have slaves, and if now we can't have slaves, that means that all of it then mustn't be true. We didn't, did we? We, we said, oh, well, okay, the, I think it's a good thing that we don't have slaves. That's because we understood with the evolution of social skills and all this that people are equal and people are precious, like we say on a Saturday night. And therefore, to put one group to say that you're not any good, therefore you must be treated horribly. You know, you've got to say that can't be right. See what I mean? So we didn't throw the, the Bible out and say, hang on a minute. 
It says we can have slaves. Well, actually, they did for years, didn't they? Because they used the Bible to, to maintain it. So I just use that to, to, as a, a help as we go through this to um, help us a little bit. Because when we get on to talking about Yahweh, which is obvious, we've got Yahwist, the, the writers. We've got Yahwism, Yahwism the, 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 the religion, basically. And so we've got Yahweh, who is the God of that religion. Um, when we talk about him, you know, you're going to have to be ready to decide, well, is this all right? Now, when I was reading again, there was a, a question that kept coming to me, was why did it take me 40 odd years to literally say of certain things in the Old Testament, uh, Testament that this just isn't right? And again, it comes back to, you, to your upbringing that you're told that, oh, well, you know, God knows best and he knew what he was doing and, you know, this, that and the other. And you, you're given things to sort of justify, for instance, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I've been told that I've just got to talk. So, I mean, I'm trying. You, um, you get information about the Canaanites where the whole, uh, the command of Yahweh was to go and completely annihilate the Canaanites. Don't leave anyone standing. Women, children, flocks, cattle. You, you had to kill them all. And the reason was because they were evil people. Put down to things like, you know, idol worship, child sacrifice, uh, just what, the priestly writers <laughs> would purport to being this is unholy behavior, this is wicked stuff, therefore that gives us a justification to wipe you all out, right? And um, you recognize that, okay, that's what we heard, well, it was a good reason and God knows and he didn't want his, his Israelites, his beloved people to be in any way... Um, um, tainted, thank you Dave, tainted by any, any of it. So he said, get rid of them all and you'll be able to stay pure and everything. But what you find in his own people, exactly the same things are going on. So that does not make any sense at all. And it's, like I said, the very first week that we spoke, we don't have any integrity as believers if we don't have a good answer to say, do you know, if somebody's saying to you, well, your God, this, that, and the other, you say, well, actually, you're absolutely right, but I don't believe that that is the God of, of Jesus. So, I mean, that's a simple thing. So, what you have in, in Yahwehism is something that's really quite uh, unbelievable. Um, and we'll maybe start by just talking about where, where Yahweh is supposed to have turned up. Is that okay? I'll, I'll find the, the story and we'll have a look at it. Sorry, I'm really thirsty. I'm, oh, I'm so nervous as well. So um, let me find it. Sorry, you're going to have to be patient with me tonight because I've got an awful lot of stuff.
The other thing before we get onto this story, you have to understand as well that um, while the Israelites believed, um, or how, how can I put it? While they believed that they were worshippers of one God, it wasn't that there weren't other gods, it's just that you worshipped the one that had been put over your spot. And we'll talk about that in a bit. It's actually um, quite a, um, a fact of what they call antiquity, that basically at, at that time, if you ever went into a temple that belonged to another god, you were very respectful of the god of that place, and you said a prayer to that god, even though you didn't... I mean, I think to myself, heck, that was pretty nice. I know it got nasty, <laughs> we're getting there, but that was basically what... It was very mutual in the sense that they knew that there were these, these other gods... Um, there was also a lot of cultural borrowing in the sense that people borrowed bits from, oh, I like the sound of that, so we'll have a bit of that for our God and this, that, and the other. But um, let me, sorry about this. I don't know, I'm dry as anything. Okay. Um, the story is basically about Moses. And when he, all the Israelites are in Egypt, because they've been taken, well, oh, see again, this is where it gets difficult. They hadn't been taken captive into Egypt. They'd gone there when there was a famine. If you think about the story with Joseph, and they were made very welcome and they were given land. But many years later, it says the Pharaoh who was now on the throne, didn't know Joseph, who was the Pharaoh who had been Jacob's, yeah, Isaac's son, whichever, whoever. He was made Pharaoh. And if you don't know this story, then, oh, I'm really sorry for you because some, some stories you did ought to have at least a bit of an idea about. He was made Pharaoh. But then, of course, after a long, many generations and he died off, the Israelites had got so big that basically um, uh, the, the new Pharaoh said, you know, we're going to do something about these Israelites. There's too many of them and they're becoming a problem. So that's when the slavery started and they gave them the uh, bricks to make without straw and this, that and the other. Now we could talk about how long they were in captivity and whether they actually were in captivity and all of that, but we're not going to do that today. What we're going to talk about is this, but there was a... a Chapter 2 of Exodus gives a bit of the story. It says, There went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife of a daughter of Levi. So what you've got there, Levi are the priests of Israel. I'm just setting the scene for you. And he married a Levite woman. So it's a very pure um, joining of seed here. And they, they bore a son and he was a goodly child and they named him Moses. And they put him in the bulrushes um, basically to save his life because at the time they were killing the, the Israelite male children. Um, now what's interesting about this is if you're a Yahwist, what you're doing is you're setting the scene for the story of redemption right from this point because even as a baby, he is a born saviour because he's put in the bulrushes, he's saved from being killed and he becomes the one who's going to redeem Israel. I mean, you've got it. You can see it already. So that's that bit. 
And um, of course, we have the, the story that basically um, Moses is taken into the house of Pharaoh where he is brought up um, and he is looked after. But clearly he must have had some understanding of the Israelite people because one day he sees um, uh, an Israelite being treated badly. Oh, this is how the story goes. I'm only telling you how it goes. That he sees a, 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 a Hebrew being treated badly and he thinks this is not right. So he kills him and then he realizes he has to flee for his life and he flees to a place called Midian. Now, what's really interesting about this place of Midian is that it's, it's south of Egypt and um, uh, it's where the, the Egyptians actually had no authority. So it was a safe place for him to go. And things like that are important when you're looking at stories in the Bible because he could have gone other places that were under the control of Egypt, but he wouldn't have been safe. So it's very important that you know that he came to this place called Midian. Now, the interesting thing is the story goes that um, he is, is not there very long before he gets a, a wife and he's got a child. I mean, it must be many years because this is going on here. But um, the story goes that when he's in, um, in Midian, the person that he meets is a guy called Jethro. And what's interesting about that is that his name is actually not Jethro, it's Yatro with the Y-A at the beginning, which, like we talked about, the names meant a lot because it actually represented what God you served. So there is a suggestion that Jethro, who was a priest, it says that he was a priest of Midian. I thought I'd underlined all this, but clearly I haven't, so I don't, it's not on here now. Uh, yeah, chapter 3, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So he was a priest of some sort of religion, and his name suggests it might have something to do with Yahweh. Now, very interesting. Um, and basically, um, we have then the point where he has this encounter with Yahweh, and it's in chapter... Um, six, I think, six, two, six, two, three. Oh, where is it? Now, I did that and there was a whole big bit missing. So what's wrong with that then? Right. And he's having this conversation and he's talking to Moses and he's saying, look, I'm going to deliver you. And uh, I don't want to spend much more time on it because we're not talking about the story. We're trying to set up what, what's going on here. Um, so he says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, which, like we talked about with the Elohim, that means El, uh, El Elohim, but by name Jehovah, which of course this is Latinized, but it would be Yahweh, was I not known to them? And I have also established my covenant with them to give them a land, the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they are strangers. So you've got him literally uh, meeting Yahweh for the first time there. Now, what I find really amazing about that is that you've got, if it's true what the Elohists say, you've got 
Uh, oh, and by the way, Midian, he was actually one of the sons of Abraham's wife, who was called Keturah. Now, I didn't even know that Abraham had a wife called Keturah, and that's in Genesis 25, 1 to 2. So you can see that Abraham's influence has got to have been passed down. There's another little interesting thing here, because in another chapter of this, um, I'm really sorry about this because I'm not doing very well, am I? Um, the daughters of Jethro are at a well where they meet Moses after he's fled from Egypt, but they don't call him Jethro, they call him Reuel. So you see, he's got L at the end of his name, which suggests he's got some connection with the Elois, but then suddenly in the next chapter, they're calling him Jethro. So it's really interesting how it can be so confusing to, to read it because you're having all these different names coming in. So what is that? I'm looking, I'm thinking, who's this guy, Reuel? It's the same guy, Jethro. It's just that he's got two different names. Goodness me. I told you they want to confuse us, don't they? So... Anyway, there's something else that's quite interesting. So I've set you up there to say that this is where Yahweh first comes on the scene. But what's interesting is that the Israelites have been taken into... No, I said that wrong again. They weren't taken into captivity. They'd gone into Egypt because of a, a, a famine. And that's where they were being looked after and, and yet they were starting to be in trouble. Yet they'd all had a, a, a heritage of of God in some form, and yet when you get to this place, it's almost like I'm either, uh, Yahweh's either replacing all of that, or he's saying I am the same as that. I just want to be known now by a different name. Do, do you get me? Now I find that really interesting. Why, why would we want to do that? And then of course, he goes on to say that, um, that the land is going to, um, that he swore to their forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, but then he says this, the home of the Canaanites. Now that struck me straight away because I'm thinking, why is it right for even in a promise to Moses? Because he's saying, I've seen the, the, the heartache of the people. They're crying. On, and it says God heard their cries. But it's almost as though God is different God in Egypt to Yahweh God here who's going to do something about it. I think really weird. But anyway, these are just some of the, the questions. So he then says, Moses says, okay, I'll go back to them and I'll say, I've had this encounter with you, Yahweh, because he basically says, from now on, this is what you're going to call me, right? And so it, Moses goes back to it. He says to Yahweh, he says, but what's going to happen when they don't believe me? Now, why wouldn't they believe him if there wasn't something particularly weird about this? I, you know, for me, it makes sense. Moses is somebody who is quite a, you know, yeah, notable figure, even, you know, in the, the Egyptian situation. But he's saying the people there are not going to believe me. And he basically says, I'll tell you what, you know, say I am a sent uh, you, 
because that's what Yahweh means. And uh, basically, it'll be okay. And then he says, and your rod, is, there's a, this stick. He says, throw it down, and it did some crazy thing, became a snake or whatever. Sorry, I'm just trying to keep it interesting. Don't want to bore you with it all. But So what you get is the introduction of Yahweh and um, signs and wonders in the context. You go now and things are going to be different because I'm on the scene. Does that make sense? It's interesting as well in the context of, um, I would have never have believed that there would be a scripture in the Bible that basically said, and Yahweh came from. But there actually is about four or five scriptures which actually say the region from which Yahweh came. Now what's really amazing, um, I've got to stop saying that. I find it amazing because I've been, you know, amazed. But anyway, um, in those ancient days, you see, there was uh, each place had a different God. And I can give you a few if you want, because again, I, I was basically taught that any of the gods that were spoken about in the Bible were either idols in the sense they were made of stone or made of wood uh, that weren't actually real. But what you find, again, if you look at scripture, uh, and we'll get to it a little bit later on, Yahweh's biggest problem is with these other gods. Now, if Yahweh, who has set himself up to be the supreme god and, you know, the head honcho, is who he says he is, why would he be so upset about other gods? And this really troubles me, and we'll, we'll look at it some more. But you've got um, the Philistines had Dagon, the Syrians had Asher, the Moabites had Chemosh, the Amorites had Milcom. Sounds good, doesn't it? The, Edom the Edomites had Quos. Israel, we know, had, Yah had Yahweh. Because, remember, we have the scripture that, that uh, we, we mentioned in Deuteronomy 32, which said, when the Most High divided the nations among the sons of God, and the sons of God are not human beings, it was the sons of God of the, of the assembly of the Most High, when he divided the nations, he appointed, uh, and Yahweh took Israel as his portion. So we know that Israel, uh, Yahweh wanted, wanted Israel. So you've got um, all of these, um, you know, deities and stuff. And what you find uh, later on, and I've, I've got some notes somewhere, so we will get to it in a while, where you've got Yahweh's biggest rants are literally over these other gods. Well, if they're only stone, I would have thought he would have just been going, what does it mean? It's meaningless. But in fact, it bothers him. Um, and then we've got to come to the fact that there's many places in the scripture where Yahweh is quoted as being very jealous. Now again, I've been brought up to even get away from the fact he's jealous as in jealousy, but he's a zealous God. He really is zealous for, his, for his, the passion of his heart. But in fact, he's jealous. He is so jealous that he consumes with anger at anybody who does anything outside of what he says should be. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this to you tonight is because we have to decide, obviously, if Yahweh is the God of Jesus and this is what we should be basing our, our faith in. 
because when you start then to have a look at it all, it, it gets quite scary and, and horrible. Am I making sense so far? Are you sure? Okay, so all these gods were being worshipped, even by the Israelites. So don't have this strange idea that the Israelites were very monotheistic. They weren't. In fact, they only became uh, monotheistic very, very late on. And I can see now why, because the more I read it, the more you recognize the progression where this, this uh, scattered groups of tribes, very much a desert bunch, who are making their way and trying to become something and, and want to be a force to be reckoned with, literally have to create something that is so bigger than anybody else. Um, and of course, as a nation, they want to be greater than everybody else. So there's a supremacy about it all, about themselves, and also a, a supremacy in the context of the God that they serve. And what really I, I have seen through this study is basically there's one message that comes out is, if you don't obey, this is what's going to happen. And that's really the, the, the top and bottom of it all. You know, you, you do what's right. You obey and you'll be fine. But if you don't, basically it's curtains. And, and if that's the message that we want to give out, I mean, it's there. You, you know, you can, you can find it. So until they got into Canaan, really... Um, Yahweh wasn't their only God. There, there, was, there was other gods that they, they worshipped. And in fact, you'll have heard a lot about Baal. And we might, we might take an evening just to talk about Baal because it's really good fun. That's another reason why they, wouldn't, uh, they didn't like to call him Lord. They would prefer to call him Adonai because Baal means Lord. So when they were talking about Lord, they didn't know who they were talking about. And when you look, it actually appears that the characteristics of Baal, who was a storm god, were actually very similar to Yahweh. Because you'll find that in the scripture, um, I'll find, find it for you because I have written it down somewhere. Um, but he too was a storm god. I will find it and I'll show you. And even if I don't, you can come to me after and I'll, I'll give you it. So... Um, Basically, the, the name in the scripture that Yahweh is most known for, other than Adonai as Lord, is Yahweh Sabaoth, and you'd think it was Sabbath, it's not Sabaoth, it actually means Lord of hosts. And again, this is when I get a bit freaked out because I used to sing, he's the Lord of hosts, he's the King of glory, Great, everybody was thrilled. But what Lord, Lord of hosts means, it's the Lord of the heavenly armies. And it's all to do with war. And so everything is about, I'm, I'm a war god. Yahweh is an absolute warring god. Well, who else was a warring god but Baal? And so there was this thing going on between these two. Now you might say, well, is it true or isn't it true? I'm just telling you. Like, all right. I'll tell you what has been true. Thank you. I'll tell you what has been true, how it was adopted. Because if you think about it, 
what, even in Christianity, what is the main or a lot of the emphasis, let me say that a lot of emphasis, is on looking to God be, to be the mighty warrior, the, the, the one who helps us win, the one who's good. And if you get to uh, Revelation in the end, what's going to happen if you look at Revelation as the second coming? He's coming back on a horse. He's coming back. It's called, you know, this great white steed and it's dripping in what? Blood. It's all very war, you know, right? I don't believe actually that Revelation is anything to do with the second coming, but I'm not, another night. We'll do that another night. But what I'm trying to say is there is an emphasis. And, it, and, and I remember many years ago in prayer meetings where you, you, we would uh, do scriptures from the Old Testament where we'd be saying about, you know, God who smashes the teeth of the wicked. And you're thinking, come on, be honest. Because it sounded right to quote it because this is our God. But actually it was Yahweh who might be, but I'm just putting it out there. Am I, am I making sense? So anyway, um, it means, um, uh, El Sabaoth, yeah, it means that he's the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord of the armies. And if you then look at his characteristics, you find that in the Old Testament, according to the Yahweh, is this God of war. And uh, yeah, going back to the Baal and Yahweh thing, for many years in Canaan, because obviously the uh, Israelites had gone into Canaan, um, uh, Baal and Yahweh so, uh, sort of coexisted together. And um, it was only after, after the ninth century, so that's way up there, that um, there's a problem. And because, do you remember the story of Jezebel and King Ahab? who had the, uh, the, the contest with the uh, prophets of Baal. Basically, what happened was that King Hab was the, the king of Israel, and what he wanted to do was actually adopt Baal as the um, supreme god of Israel. And of course, that wasn't going to happen. So anyway, another thing. You know this business of the annihilation of the Canaanites? It, it's, this is an interesting fact. There's a stone in a, I think it's in the museum in Jordan, and it's called the Moabite Stone. And uh, it's written by uh, the king of Moab. Um, and actually, it's all about, it's brilliant, I love this, how they, the Moabites, totally annihilated the Israelites in a big fight and, you know, wiped them off the face of the earth, right? That's how they talked in them days. It was probably a little squirmish. They're probably, you know, you're ugly. You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, but they would write it up. We annihilated them all. So you've even got the Moabites talking about annihilating all the Israelites. Did they? I don't think so. Just the same as when the Israelites talked about annihilating the Canaanites. Probably a little skirmish, but you know what I'm saying. It was bigged up. Anyway. Just to, to move on, is this making sense or not? So Yahweh, as a supreme God, only actually started to be worshipped alone in the sense of one God about Elijah's time um, after this Ahab-Jezebel uprising. Um, so 
That's that. Right, I'm coming back to this. I need to look at this. So, Yahweh. You ready for this? Let's find it. And I've just written a whole bunch of stuff down. Yahweh, God of war. By the way, Yahweh Sabaoth, 225 times his name. You can look at things like um, El Shaddai, all the Jehovah Shekenu, Makadesh, and all of those, which some of you might not be interested in even to know. The more nice names of Jehovah, the mentioned once in, in seriously, and I, I can give it to you, but Lord of hosts, 225 times. What's the emphasis then? Come on. <laughs> I think it's war, don't you? So, let's just look at this. Um, Yahweh Sabiot, he who musters army, armies. Exodus 15.3, the Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Have you ever looked at the scriptures where it talks about uh, the burning of offerings and the sweet savour coming up to God? I was always told that that was lovely, but imagine we're talking about burning flesh. And listen to this. What Yahweh demanded was that for every person, two lambs twice a day had to be killed. Two lambs twice a day for every living being. That's why the priests didn't rest. Because imagine the slaughter that went on. Pretty horrendous, right? He likes this smell. <laughs> he likes it. I don't know. But anyway, um, it was normal. Yeah, and if you think about it, the, the whole sacrifice thing of the demands of Yahweh is what's later going to become the picture for Christ. You can see it, can't you? Um, also, actually, I know I'm digressing, but it's important to just say at this point that Genesis 2 that talks about the fall and about man being terribly wicked and the day you do this, you will die. Guess who wrote that? Doesn't it make sense? I, th I hope that makes you smile because I think, ka-chung, that makes total sense now. Because you see, for a long time, it was suggested that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 were written by two totally different people just because of the, the language and, and, and the emphasis. And when I read that, yeah, this was written by Yahweh, you think, oh, that makes total sense. Why? Because they're setting the hog out right at the beginning. I know it they weren't writing it in the beginning, but they're putting it in the beginning of the record to say, hey, you sort yourself out. You're all awful. You're all a mess. What God demands is a pure race, a, 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 a holy priesthood in the sense of perfection. And they're saying, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. You're going to die. Isn't, doesn't that make a lot, lot of sense? Right, moving back. Oh, well. Um, right, it's always, it's always suggested that, oh no, uh, child sacrifices weren't um, a thing that Israelites did. But we know for a fact that uh, Jep Jephthah, the guy who I spoke about a, a while back, he said, you know, I will sacrifice the first thing that meets me when I come back from war. And who was it? It was his daughter. So yeah, there you go. So he, he 
he uh, basically killed her and it was classed as that's great and because he did that he was blessed there's always blessings with Yahweh for doing things which seem incredibly terrible and I don't get it myself it's like and I'll get to one there's a guy called Jehu because he basically coerced a whole bunch of Baal worshippers into a temple and sort of set it on fire sort of thing that yeah he, he gets um he gets sort of awarded he gets praised and he's like, oh it's really interesting get get to that bit in a minute right Exodus 32, 27. I'm just going to run through these quickly to build a picture, if that's all right. Uh, killed 3,000 calf worshippers. Um, and basically he said, you, you know, you've, you have consecrated yourself to Yahweh. This, this, this is what Yahweh said to the people who'd killed the 3,000. At the cost of your sons and brothers. And so he bestowed blessings upon them. So basically what he did, what the, the people who killed the 3,000 they were their sons and brothers. And he says, because you've basically done that, you've consecrated yourself to me. So he bestows blessings on them. Then we've got the story of um, Saul, who had been told to totally annihilate the Amalekites. And basically, Saul doesn't do as he's told. <laughs> so basically, Samuel, who was the priest at the time, he basically, there's this one guy left, he was the king called Agag. And he basically hacked him to bits because he said, the Lord said, you've all got to die. So he hacked him to death. And do you know what it says about what Yahweh says? It says, and the Lord regretted making Saul king. So because he didn't annihilate the whole bunch, it says the Lord regretted making him king. Um, in Judges, we have a story of 71 kings I love this. Can you see how it took a long time to find all, all of this? You won't ever have to read your Bible again after tonight. Um, 71 kings had their thumbs and big toes cut off. I'll have to figure out why, but it was a command. Maybe they couldn't walk and they couldn't pick up. Maybe that's it, isn't it? Because I know you need your thumb and your big toe for something. Balance, is it? I don't know. Anyway. Then in Joshua, we've got Joshua slaughtering 31 kings. We've got Elijah killing 450 prophets of Baal. We've got Samson killing 1,000 Philistines. We've got King Amaziah, 10,000. Oh, this is a good one. He threw, this is what it says, he threw 10,000 Edomites from a rock. Do you imagine how long that would take? <laughs> I think he'd be there for a while, wouldn't he? And what were people doing just lining up to go, what? <laughs> Don't you find that funny? I do. I mean, I just can't see 10,000 people standing still long enough, can you, to be thrown off a rock? Well, anyway. Um, and then the, the guy, Jehu, that I talked about. Listen to what he says. Because you did good. Because you did good. Set fire to this temple with Baal worshippers in it. Because you did good, your children will sit on the throne for four generations in Israel. So, can you see how this, we've got a problem? Being put on a throne is according not to being a good person. It's somebody who is as bloodthirsty as this Yahweh. And I, I'm being careful to make sure I say Yahweh because we, we want to be sure uh, to differentiate 
if we need to. Um, what else have we got? Oh, of course, wiping out whole cities. Oh, and you've got the lovely one in Psalm 137 where it says basically, disobedient children, you can dash their heads against a rock. Crack, cracking parental um, advice that, wouldn't you say? It'll work. It certainly work. <laughs> so, of course, you've got Sodom and Gomorrah, AI, annihilate them all. And apparently the worst one, well, I think it's the worst one that I have found um, in two chronicles, apparently one million, one million Ethiopians were killed. What you've got is the picture of foreigners and land occupying, you know, taking. And I got a book just a few weeks ago, and it's called The Great Spiritual Migration by Brian McLaren. If anybody wants to have a good read, it's a good book, very much on our page. But there's a chapter that really did upset me, not in the sense that it's wrong, but in the sense that now looking at this, it makes just me want my skin crawl. Because there's a, a whole chapter of how basically in the name of Christianity, these things have continued to be done for centuries, all in the name of supremacy, of whether it be the Western countries. I mean, we were as bad, weren't we? Look at Britain, the empire, you know what I mean? We can't point fingers at anybody but it was all done in the sense, in the name of wanting to create something. And I was thinking as well how if you're not careful, even in the context of the church, we look at how it's growing and what it is and we want it to resemble a particular thing. And we want it to be, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but it's almost like you want it white, rich, handsome. <laughs> you know, I'm just throwing out some words, there's almost that. And the moment then you start opening the doors to the whosoever, it takes on a totally different um, feel. And you even have your, your people who are supposed to be part of it getting very upset because they're deciding who can be in and who can be out. So you see, it's still going on. And that's what bothers me in the sense of understanding of where it originated from. So... Um, what you could call this is, um, you know, we talked about Judeo-Christianity. What you could call Yahwehism is more of a mosaic Judaism because Moses then takes back the whole idea of Yahweh back into Egypt and the people. And of course, when they are delivered from Egypt, it's Yahweh who's delivered them and therefore he's now become their God of choice, you see what I mean, because of, of what has happened. So let me see, right. The other thing is about it, uh, it was Yahweh who gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, if you remember. Now, it's interesting to note that the Ten Commandments weren't written then. <laughs> it was written much later on. Remember what we said about the fact that th things were orally passed on, 
And it was only when they were in cities and in states, really, with a king or a, an established, um, uh, like a school, like a, a, a scribe school, that actually gave them the ability to write anything down at all. And what you find is the Yahwists are actually out of the school of King David and Solomon. And after Israel uh, basically was uh, taken over by the Babylonians and after their exile, it was after that that all of this stuff started to get written up, obviously looking backwards, writing up the history as they went. But would you believe it was only then when the Ten Commandments were actually written but put as, as being given back then. If you think about it, it makes total sense because a lot of the Ten Commandments wouldn't have made sense to anybody in a tribal situation. If you think about it, you know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a shepherd in the middle of the desert herding your sheep, what difference does the day make in essence to anybody? Are you, are you following me? So there were some things that only made sense later on to be able to say, let's apply it as though it was said then. This making sense? I know it's hard, I'm sorry. But um, if you think about it, I can't hack the Ten Commandments being given by Yahweh after what we've just read. It does not stand any... I don't even know what the word is. How can you tell me and you not to do X? Meanwhile, ask, are you with me? And so let's just have a look at the Ten Commandments because it's really, really interesting. It, sorry? Absolutely. That's one of the things I've got down. So don't murder. But you see, the reason why this is a problem because it was open to interpretation because you see, the slaying of enemies and wrongdoers is not murder. See? And how many, how many countries are still doing that? Let's be honest. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, call it something else. What you find is that a lot of the Ten Commandments were based on a Jewish male code that was coming into being about round about the 6th century. And uh, so, for instance, things like slavery, endorsing of slavery. Adultery is an interesting one because they said don't commit adultery in order to stop polygamous Jewish males taking each other's wives. So they didn't want you to be, be taking each other's wives. But if they took a foreign woman, it didn't matter. Um... And there's, there's all things about, you know, captured uh, war brides that could shave the heads of the woman because that proved that she was a foreigner. But I love this phrase, and this is in Deuteronomy 21.14. I wrote it down so you can have a look at it. It says this, otherwise they could give delight. Don't you find that great? So, uh, and this is all, you see, the bit about the adultery bit, you see. They... As long as their heads were shaved, otherwise they could give delight. So you see, things about adultery were just, you know. Honour of parents. 
basically it was to support a very patriarchal, very strict system. I'm not saying it's not a good idea, but it was for specific things. Um, where else have I got down here? Uh, they could conquer anything. Yeah, we've, we've talked about annihilation. Oh, yeah. Um, enslavement of conquered tribes, suppression of dissent, curtailing of liberties. They could do all of that, um, which really made the whole thing of the Ten Commandments a bit... Um, I read something the other day. Wouldn't it be nice if instead of having the Ten Commandments outside of um, um, courthouses, which they do in the States, it's quite a, a, a common thing, they actually had something like, you know, love one another as I have loved you. It would probably be nicer, wouldn't it? Which I think is, is, is uh, something to think about. So what I'm trying to um, get over to you, that whoever Yahweh was who appeared to Moses, who then basically did all these things, and, and of course, Israel were thrilled because their God was pretty awesome, pretty powerful. Now, I said I was going to talk to you. What time are we on? Yeah, okay. don't want to be too much longer. Um, I want to... Oh, let's have a look. Yeah, I was just going to mention as well that just as well as the supremacy of, of, a, of a race and supremacy of a God, um, the, the whole idea of purity was so important. And that's what we talked about um, with the priestly writers. They were going to make sure that... Because basically they had a belief that God could only dwell... In, in this pure place. Um, right, I want to look at the jealousy bits because uh, if I can find it. Okay. Um, and I've already touched on this, so I'll just talk a little bit about this. Um, Exodus 20. I don't know what Yahweh had to be jealous of, but um, let's look at Exodus 20. Right, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It's a pretty horrible thing to say, isn't it? Um, of course, the next verse is the one that we all shout and think, how awesome, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. Haven't we always said, isn't that great? But you can't have, I don't think you can have that one with the, with the bit before. So, fourth and, how about bearing a grudge? Eh? So, Exodus uh, 34, 14. This is where I could have somebody to do this for me, couldn't I? Um, he's telling them to go and cut down all the, um, the images and cut down the groves and remember the groves were like tree-lined places where um actually i'll just tell you this right now um you know somebody else asked a question about cultic centers was it you um what is one well the best way to answer that is what would you say stonehenge is right a load of rocks that seem to have appeared from some great I don't know how, did they fall out of the sky and, and, and form themselves in that 
shape or what was going on, something. And, and in Old Testament times, there was this idea that wherever there was um, a, um, a place where maybe there'd been a meteor fall from the sky and create a crater, that would be called a, a cultic site because they would have, uh, a, they would, uh, uh, they would associate that with a supernatural happening, and therefore that would become a, a place where they would would worship. So when it's talking about cut, cutting down these groves or tearing down things uh, in the high place, it's usually because there'd be stones or something. Now there's another interesting thing that, that the Bible talks about, and I haven't got the scripture. I probably have, but I don't know where it is. But it talks about who is a rock like our God. We would say, oh, he's just a rock, a solid rock to stand on. It was actually an old ancient way of actually talking about a place where they would go, they would go and worship because it would be a rock. Just like you go to Stonehenge or wherever and you see the monolith, is it monolithic? Is that the word? That would be a place where you would go and worship because it would be seen as a site. So anyway, so he's telling them to go and cut down all this. For thou shalt worship no other God, but the Lord whose name is Jealous is Jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go warring after their gods and do sacrifices unto their gods. So for me, even just that, I'm, there's loads more in there that's talking about the fact that he's jealous, he's jealous, he's je jealous. But like I said at the beginning, what is there to be jealous of unless there is some truth to uh, the aliveness of these entities? Is that fair enough to put it? So let's just look at this because I'm going to show you scriptures that actually give proof that... Um, that as far as the Bible's concerned, I'm being careful what I say, they are a real bunch. Psalm 82, verse 1. Mm. Right, God standeth, God. Now, that's just generic now because we've gone past the merging of the L and Yahweh, and Yahweh's taken supreme um, standing now so Yahweh standeth in the congregation of the mighty he judges among, among the gods and he's saying to them how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked this is he's talking to gods here he's not talking to people on the ground he's not talking to humans it says it says God judges um Oh, verse 6. Oh, listen to, you like this one. Um, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Now, Im immediately your brain goes and says children of the Most High. It means us as children of the Most High. But children of the Most High, in that context, it was children of El, which was the supreme deity in, in the Eloist context. And this is what he says, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Well, how can they die if they don't exist? Are you with me? Just, just offering some thoughts. Jeremiah 10, 11. Let's have a look at this one. Oh, do you remember sword drill? <laughs> you ought to be doing draw your sword, charge, 11. 
Now, what does this say? Um, is this it? 11. Yeah. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods have not made the heavens and the earth. Even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. So again, you're talking about gods, not as, we're not talking about people. And then Jeremiah 23. Um, 23. Uh, 26. Um. Oh, this is it, right. How long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets that prophesy lies? Um, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Now, you see, that's the Baal, that's the, the God of the Canaanites, and basically God's saying, they've forgotten my name for Baal. So there's something going on. Oh, right, now I need to... That's me other pad. I need to read this now. You're bored. <laughs> um, I read this and it just shook me a little bit because we're talking about Baal. This person had put online, Baal was God, was a God of total debauchery and had no concept of moral conduct, whereas Hebrew Yahweh was God of very high moral standards that did not tolerate incest, adultery, homosexuality, fornication, or human sacrifice. He wanted to make his nation a chaste royal priesthood. What do you make of that? So it's almost like saying, you know, Baal was terrible, but, you know, Yahweh is, is okay. So um, there's also um, an, um, another... Um, referencing kings because Ahab King Ahab you know we talked about Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel because of what they'd done basically it says that God had this meeting with the divine council to find out who would kill him <laughs> so you can have a look at that in uh, Kings 23 uh, yeah Kings 23 but anyway and this person you know came forward and says I'll do it not a person but one of the the council. So um, you've, you've got, again, the, the point that Yahweh's jealous because there is this turning to other things, which even in the scripture, you've got proof that Yahweh, Lord or God, whoever, is actually saying they are alive and do exist. Do you find that interesting? Okay. So where are we now? We've got to finish. So... Is this the God of Jesus? <laughs> That's the question we've got to ask, isn't it? And um, like I say, when you look at it in that situation, I don't know where David is in this because if David was an adulterer, because that's why we find it so wonderful, don't we, the story of David? Because he seemed to do everything that had somebody else done it he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been forgiven so there's something about David and we know it says that he was a man after God's own heart 
but there's something not quite right for me because if it's about the purity of a race and keeping things right, then David should have been got rid of as much as anybody else. So I don't know. So for me, I believe that the, per the person who David was having an encounter with, in my head, and I'm only throwing it out for you, wasn't this. Uh, but because it's a bit like... Um, a split personality God, isn't it? And I don't think that sort of thing can be trusted. You know, at least you want to know where you stand. But what you've got is this um, um, grace that comes in, which, of course, we love the idea of grace, um, but we can see that in the context of if it was Yahweh, then I don't know how that, that would fit. So anyway, just to, to wrap this up, and I don't, uh, I apologise, I don't think I've done very well. I've just tried to give you a, a picture. Oh, there is a few things I need to tell you, just a couple more. See, Yahwehism couldn't stand the idea of there being a most high God with Baal as its warrior God. Because you know I told you Baal and Yahweh was a war God. They didn't like the idea that these two separate entities were working together but what Yahweh could the Yahweh's could handle was Yahweh being the supreme and the angel of the Lord who was himself who didn't appear as Yahweh but it said he has his presence his name and the essence of Yahweh was within him so it's a bit like, the, you know, we talk about the Trinity, that it's three in one. This was a two in one in the sense that the, Yahweh didn't have a, a sidekick as, um, uh, as a warrior that went out. He, he had himself in a different form, right, which they could handle. So the angel of the Lord wasn't Yahweh, although it was his presence, his name, and his essence, which is very interesting. So we could, like I say, we need to do a whole study on the angel of the Lord, because if you look at the stories, it says, and then the angel of the Lord appeared, and you think, what's going on here? Yeah? Okay, so uh, just one more thing to say. Like we said about names, what's in a name? Um, Solomon, who was King David's son, he had two kids, and... Um, was it two or was it one? But whatever. Um, he actually called one of his sons. No, it was, that's right, it was Mephibosheth. Do you remember we talked about Mephibosheth and the one who was crippled and when he sat at the table, you know, um, he was the same as everybody else. But the thing was, his name was actually Merybale, really, which shows you that at the time of all this going on, there is both worship of Baal and of Yahweh, because then what happened was when they get themselves sorted out and they stop worshipping Baal, they changed the name and it was changed to Mephibosheth. But what Mephibosheth means, the, the sheth at the end means shame. And where, whereas we think that maybe the name was given because of he was crippled, it's actually not. It was given to point out that the shame was in the, the worship of Baal. So that's why the name was changed. And also uh, Gideon, he was called Jeroboam. And um, that's because at one point he contended with Baal and he tore down the, the idols that were there and the, the groves, etc. But 
no sooner had they done that, uh, a little while later, they all returned back to uh, worshipping Baal. So uh, his name was changed to Gideon, and then it was changed back to Mary Baal. So names in the Bible, as you're reading, it actually gives you more of an understanding because you can say, ah, what's, what's going on here? So anyway, just to finish, I just got rid of a fly. Um, basically, what the Yahwists were doing, they were going to write up a story of a, a, a grand and glorious purpose of Yahweh. It was going to be a story of redemption, but it wasn't a story of redemption for anyone else but Israel. And it was only going to be for the ones that qualified in Israel. Um, and basically, what was said was, let's, um, you know, let's really convert everybody to Yahweh because he was the one who basically fought for us. And uh, that's how, basically, Israel took Yahweh as their prime God. And um, that's it, really. <laughs> Woo! I haven't even got Anth to bail me out either. I need to... Uh, if you've got any questions, please write them down. Like I say, we're going to cover some questions uh, next week. Um, I think the only thing to say in wrapping up is I see how clearly that that Yahwistic idea is what took hold of Western Christianity. And on that basis, I don't want anything to do with it. Thank you very much. And uh, if, if people want to call me a heretic, they can. I'm happy about that. But I don't believe that that's a representation of um, the Abba of Jesus. And... Um, it's really interesting, like I said at the beginning, that we, um, we, we support things that we really shouldn't support. And we find a way of justifying it, but we shouldn't, should we? At all. And so I'm quite happy to put my, nail my colours to the mast and say that, you know, there's, there's more work to be done, there's more things to look at, but um, um, I'm convinced that we've got to get away from... Um, this add-on, do you know what I mean, to the, the God of Israel rather than, than seeing that what Jesus was, was really somebody who came in to upset the apple cart and say, you've got it all absolutely wrong. And that's what I, I totally believe. It's interesting, actually, the um, Jehovah's Witnesses, just so that you know, that might help you with, with this. They don't like any other word but Jehovah and that's why if you talk about the Lord or anything, other words, they don't like it because they think that that's idolatry and they only want to refer to Jehovah. So that's why they're Jehovah's witnesses, just so that you know, see? Yeah. And that's, that's Yahweh in the context of a, the Latinized form. That just helps you a little bit in knowing why people have got these names. So... They, they would say that we are not, if we are not Yahweh or Jehovah's people and we're worshipping something else, then we're not right, you see. Okay, done. Sorry if that was a bit muddy, but I've done my best. <laughs> we did say it was a lab. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.